Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, Redefining Yoga listeners. We've got a big update for you. We're revamping our podcast and we're now proudly known as Redefining Movement. We've always been more than just yoga, but we feel that the word movement really encompasses you and why you come here. And that's not all the changes we're making. We're also slowing down our cadence a bit to five fantastic episodes a month. Why you ask? This will allow us to be more intentional with the top-notch content that you already love and know. And guess what? We've got some incredible special series lined up that you won't want to miss. Get ready for even higher quality interviews, expert insights, and a fresh perspective on movement. So hit that subscribe button to stay in the loop. Keep moving. It's a thrilling journey, and we're excited to have you along for the ride. Today's podcast is sponsored by one of our favorite products, Almond Cow. We've been using it for well over a year, and I say we, mostly my husband, Mark, who is mooing. Honey, what are your thoughts about Almond Cow? <laughs> this is the moo man. He's back. <laughs> I love the almond cow because we know how great it is. Anything that you can, can make a plant-based milk with, you're set. And I just have it. I don't need to make, make that much. It's just sitting in the pantry. And then when we're ready, I just make it. It takes a minute. Is it, it tastes so good. It tastes so good. And for those of you who are thinking about it, let me tell you why. There, there are no added preservatives, any kind of artificial stuff. You put in it what you want. You can sweeten it to your taste. It is so easy to make, so easy to clean up, and it's pure gold. It really is. And they give you a lot of recipes on the Almond Cow website. You have the recipe, so you don't have to think, you don't have to go anywhere to find it. It's there for you. Yes, we love it so much. So if you're interested in getting your own, go check out the link or just go to their site, almondcow.co. And you can use code Lara, L-A-R-A, for extra savings. Go get yourself one and have fun. I'm Laura Hyman, and welcome to Redefining Movement, a lit podcast designed to investigate all aspects of movement from my background in physical therapy and neuroscience. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter movement patterns and compassion for ourselves and others, so together we can live our most uplifted lives, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have, dare I say, she's a badass. She really is. Gina Conley. Gina is, she is calm and collected and wise and is on a mission to help all the mamas. She is a perinatal fitness trainer and owner of Mama Stay Fit, an in-person perinatal training facility in my home state, North Carolina. She has exclusively trained prenatal and postnatal fitness clients for the past six years. And we talk about her journey into getting to the place she is. And some of it was rooted in her own experience with her first birth. She has three kids, but her first birth did not go in the way she wanted it to. And so she really wanted to change the trajectory for how moms prepare for birth, um, have all the information for the kind of birth they want to have, and then also return to activity in that postnatal phase, feeling strong and pain-free. And she has so much to say on this topic. It was such a joy to talk to Gina. So please enjoy this. 
Welcome, Gina. I'm so thrilled to have you on here, uh, especially just being another, you know, movement expert and definitely movement expert for the mamas out there. <laughs> Which... Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's start off. Um, how did you get into this kind of field? Like, explain your path here and then how, what you're doing now and maybe even like what you're deciding to do in the future. I mean, you have so many programs, so you're full as, as it is, but I'm, I'm just really curious about your path to get here and, and what you have in mind. So where we're at right now is we offer prenatal fitness training. So we do prenatal and postpartum fitness training, both online and in person. So we have an in-person training facility that specializes in the perinatal timeframe. So it kind of makes us the like, quote unquote, like expert of this really specific timeframe. So similar to how you would go to a, like a coach, if you wanted to get into bodybuilding, that's specialized in bodybuilding or specialized in powerlifting. We specialize in this perinatal timeframe. So it's not general population training, it's designed for this phase. And so we have the in-person training experience, and then also the online, which which makes our gym like a really cool place. Uh, we also offer childbirth education. I'm a birth doula, so I'm very much about providing this like full spectrum of care from pregnancy through your birth into the postpartum period. And so we essentially are like supporting someone for roughly about two years. And then our business model is we have kids be in the gym. So everyone's seeing all the new babies and then they get pregnant again. And then we keep them for another two years. So that's our that's our current business model. Uh, yeah, it's right around that two-year gonna... mark. You start itching. You see the baby. So like, oh. oh, look at this. Adorable. Yeah, look at this. Don't you? Shouldn't yeah. you have another? Um, yeah. So. Oh, that's... Well, how there's I... always people having babies too. So you've got a yeah. recurring... So how did you how did you become interested in this? And you, when you say so, we, I think you're referring to your sister, right? Um, so I I was the starter of Mama mm -hmm. Safe Fit, and then I kind of dragged my sister in, like kicking and screaming, to be a part of it. About like three years into it, um, so how Mama Safe Fit kind of started was I used to be active duty army here stationed here at Fort Bragg, now Fort Liberty. Um, and I transitioned off of active duty when my daughter was born. So there's, it's really hard to be dual military. So to have both you and your husband or your partner to be in the military active duty. Um, it's just like a lot of coordination with like figuring out who's going to watch the kids while one person is deploying, one person's at training. Um, and with his schedule being really unpredictable, we decided that I was going to get out of the army and transition to a civilian career, but I didn't know what that career was going to be. Um, and so initially I tried to pursue a master's degree in computer science, which my brother is like very educated on like computer engineering. And I was like, he can tutor me. My brother is not a great tutor. He was not helpful at all. Um, and I realized that I just wasn't really interested in computer science. And so after about a semester, I was like, this is not what I want to do. Um, so my birth with my daughter was... I don't want to say traumatic, but it was not a great experience. And it was really sad for me to look at that like one experience in my life that I knew I was probably going to have a very small handful. Like we're planning four kids. So in my entire life, I'm going to experience birth four times and or hopefully. And one of them was was not a good time. And it was really sad for me to start my motherhood journey with a lot of disappointment about my birth, a lot of like frustration with the birth team that I had, like the more of the medical side, like my chosen birth team was wonderful. Um, what do you mind I was sharing just... what part of it felt disappointing? Um, is it that you had an idea of how you wanted to be and it didn't go that way? Or I'm because I, I know this is a very common thread for so many women who are choosing to give birth in certain places like a hospital or whatever, which I did, by the way. So I'm just curious, like what what was it that was disappointing for you? So for my first birth, we decided to give birth in a hospital because it was, this is where everyone gives birth. Like, why would I give birth somewhere else? And it's a great option for the majority of people. Um, and we, I had transferred care in my third trimester because we had, I had moved from Georgia to North Carolina and was at the military hospital, which I've gone to attend births there as a doula and they've been wonderful births too. So it's not like military hospitals are bad by any means. Um, and so towards the end of my pregnancy, I started to realize that I had options that I didn't realize that I had, but I was very overwhelmed with those options. I didn't 
understand like how to advocate for myself or how to kind of navigate these different options. And the education that I had initially received was very like fear-based from kind of like the natural birth side where it's like hospitals are evil, Pitocin is evil, doctors are evil. And so that instead of like empowering me to understand that I had options, it just kind of scared me and my husband. Um, and then we didn't feel confident to know how to advocate for ourselves. And so I went into my birth hoping that my provider and my medical team was going to help guide me through that. And that was not the case. I showed up at 41 weeks and they told me, hey, or I showed up at 40 weeks and they told me I have an induction schedule at 41 and three and no conversation. That was just it. And I was like, uh, but but why? Like, I'm I'm not even there yet. Like, I don't have a complication. It's just I'm just too pregnant and I'm not opposed to being induced if there's like a complication or a reason but I would really like to have a conversation. I want to be an active part of the decision-making. And that's just, there was no room for conversation. It was kind of rush in and rush out. And so I kind of spent the next 10 days of my pregnancy because I stayed very pregnant for a long time, feeling super anxious about induction. And I, everyone that I tried to talk to it about was like very dismissive of my fears and my concerns. And they're like, it's not a big deal. Just get induced. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm trying to plan an unmedicated birth. Like I don't want to get an epidural. I want to experience that, like that type of birth. And I just feel like Pitocin and induction is going to make that much harder for me. And I, and I don't see a reason to be induced. And again, I'm not opposed to induction at all. If I develop a complication, absolutely. Like here I am. Um, but I was just too pregnant. And so I felt like I was being dismissed. I did not feel like I was an active decision maker in my own birth experience. And so 41 and 2 shows up. I start having contractions all by myself. And I'm like, this is it. But I was really anxious. I want, I'm like, I need this to continue. If it stops, I have to get induced tomorrow. Like, I need this to continue. And so I essentially spent my whole early labor, like, really anxious about mm -hmm. I need things to keep going. And so I wasn't resting. I was like going for walks. I was doing all the things because I needed this to continue and went to the hospital because I thought maybe I, just, I was so anxious that I, I needed to be further along than I was. I was two centimeters. They sent me home. I didn't want to go home because I was like, it was 40 minute drive. And I'm like, well, what if I progress really quickly? Like, I would just want to stay here. And at this point, my contractions were getting a little bit harder as well. Went back still two centimeters, but then they admitted me and I don't know why they admitted me. I think later, I think it was because they knew I was getting induced. They're like, well, we'll just keep you anyways. Um, and so the midwife that I had was like, well, you're getting induced. Here's your Pitocin. And I was like, well, I'm having contractions. Like, why do I? And I tried to ask her about it. And she came in with like her arms crossed and was like, I heard you want to talk to me. And I was like, I do not want to talk to you. And so it was like really abrasive, both her and my nurse just I just felt like they didn't like me and I didn't know why they didn't like mm. me. Like I felt like I was burdening them and that I was like a problem. And so that just added to the anxiety. And then I just started to kind of spiral from there because I was not being heard. I felt like I was making everybody angry. Um, and so that just, I remember being in that moment and just being like, I, I have been defeated. Like I, I'm failing right now and I, this, this sucks. And when I see that in my own doula clients, it like breaks my heart because I'm mm -hmm. like, I feel responsible for this, even though it's not my fault. Um, and so I got an epidural, which was not my plan. And getting an epidural is a totally valid way to give birth. And in that moment, I needed it. But I felt so defeated by it because it was like I had all these people against me and here they are finally winning. Like the I told you so was finally like coming to fruition, which just made it so much worse. Like if I had people ahead of time being like, oh, you want an unmedicated birth? Like, that's awesome. Like, it was really hard for me. Like I, I got an epidural, but that's great that you want to do that. And I really hope that you achieve it. Instead, it was, oh, you just wait. Like there's no trophy. Wait until, so, yeah. Yeah. I feel so like that I happens have... a lot with first time moms because it yeah. is new for us. And these people are acting like I've seen this a lot, a lot of times before, and I know how it's going to go down. And yeah, you're right. It's a kind of it can be very dismissive. Yeah. And so when I got the epidural, I was like, well, now all those people were right. Like, oh, wow, I really I'm just not strong enough for this. And so that just kind of added to mm -hmm. like the feeling of failure involved with my birth. 
Um, and then like half an hour later, I had a whole new crew. It was like shift change happened. I had an amazing midwife, an amazing nurse. And I'm like, where were you guys like four hours ago? <laughs> like if you had been here instead, this would have been a totally different experience. Um, and so I kind of just left that birth being like, what just, what just happened? Um, and I, I did a lot of like, it's fine. Like that it was, it's fine. She's healthy. I'm healthy. Like we're great. And and like healthy mom and healthy baby is obviously the the bare minimum. Like that is like we should all strive for that. But like there's always room for a happy mom for a good birth experience. And so I didn't have that with my first, which makes me so sad because I went on to have two really positive birth experiences that were like very empowering, very powerful. It's such a great way to start my motherhood journey. Like mm -hmm. just kind of being like I am amazing and. I feel Look so at me roar. Yeah, exactly. This. Yeah. Um, and instead, it, I'm like was, battling yeah. all that. Yeah. Was it so? Was it your daughter's? It was your daughter that was the firstborn? Was it? Yep. Was it that experience that got you interested in the line of work you're doing now, or had you already been interested? Like, so I think that was what kind of the impetus. Um, mm -hmm. The and so I had a friend, Casey, she does a lot of stuff for like our prenatal yoga and our scar mobilization work for our C-section programs. Um, she and I gave birth about a week apart. And so the two of us essentially just had these two birth experiences that we were not expecting. And so we just kind of like trauma bonded over <sighs> it and kind of started to develop kind of the beginnings of Mama Stay Fit. Um, and so she's definitely like my muse for a lot mm -hmm. of my beginning concepts and was definitely like, she still is a big part of my business. Um, but yeah, I just kind of left that being like, well, I, I need, I need something to kind of pour some energy into besides just my baby. And I need something to help me kind of heal from all mm -hmm. of this. And I think the way that I can do that is by supporting other people in this time frame, so they can, be a little bit more empowered going into their experiences. So I started with just the fitness aspect of it. It was just pre and postpartum fitness. And I was doing it out of somebody else's gym. Like it was a really supportive environment. He, it was like a prison gym. So it was like dirty. Like there's like, it's, it's like just a bunch of dudes that are like sweating. And we just had like our little corner for like the moms and their babies. But he like was really protective of us, welcomed us into the space and it allowed a lot of us, it was like our first babies, no idea what's going on. A lot of us had left careers. And so now we're stay at home moms that are just like, what do I do with my hands? And we all just kind of started growing together as mothers in an environment that was like really just really wonderful. Um, and then about a year into just the pre and postpartum fitness training, one of my prenatal clients asked me to be her doula. And I was like, okay, I, I will go take a course. I don't, I don't know what that, I don't really know how to be a doula, but I think I could figure it out. And so I took a, I took a birth doula course over the weekend and just kind of like dove headfirst into birth work. I was really fortunate to have a lot of really great opportunities at the beginning to gain tons of experience really quickly. I also had like a client base with my prenatal fitness clients that all essentially hired me to be their doula. So within like a really short period of time, I was had attended like tons of births. And was able to like really like aim, like enhance my experience. Was taking tons of courses, and so then it became that full spectrum care from prenatal like birth and the postpartum time frame. I love that. Um, it's like and, you're with them along the whole journey. Can yeah. you quickly um, describe for people in case they don't know what is the difference between a doula and a midwife? So a doula is a non medical like labor companion. So they're kind of like your birth buddy. They they're there for the providing mom. more of right. Yeah. So they're mm -hmm. they're there for the family. Mm -hmm. Um. So they're providing like emotional support. They're really looking out for your emotional well being. They're providing that physical support, like labor positions, um, like counter pressure, comfort measures. And so they're kind of doing all of the like like the physical work of supporting your labor. Um, they're going to be the ones that are going to be by your side the whole time. And they're also going to be helping to kind of help your partner know what to do also. So I always tell my clients and the folks that like kind of interview me to be a doula is like, I'm not there to replace your partner. I'm there to enhance them and give them kind mm. of all of the answers to the test. So when you finish your birth and you're holding your baby, you look at your partner and you're like, oh my God, I couldn't have done it without you. Um, and I'm like, that's like my goal is I want you to think that your partner did it all. And then like, you can give me a little bit of credit later, but I um, mean, so what a midwife 
or like a labor and delivery nurse are, are is they're kind of your medical team. So they're there to watch out for your health and well-being, for this your safety. Like they're providing like medical recommendations, diagnosis, like interventions. Um, they can provide a lot of non-medical support as well. So I've had midwives that are there like giving like some tips for comfort measures, but they're usually managing multiple patients at a time. And so they're not going to sit in your room the whole time. I, I've been at some births where the midwife kind of sits in the room for a period of time, but the doula is going to be the one who's there with you from kind of the start to the finish while like a midwife is kind of going to hop in and out. And then you're probably going to mostly see them like when your baby's about to start crowning. Hmm. Um, a labor and delivery nurse is also a medical support person that are also going to, they're usually managing like one or two patients at a time. Um, and they're going to be making sure baby's being monitored. They're going to be doing your vitals. And so they're also really focused on kind of the medical aspect of support. Um, and at births that I've been at were like a home birth where the medical team has not yet arrived. It's really hard to be the person that does it all for somebody that's doing the medical side looking out for kind of the safety, managing the room, making sure that the water temperature is good, like looking out for the equipment, setting up equipment, and then also being the person that provides that emotional support is really challenging. So it's great to have a bunch of different people providing like different things for you. Um, in most of the case, the doulas are not covered by insurance, while like a midwife and your nurse would typically be covered by your insurance. Um, and so usually doulas are paid out of pocket and then they're hired by the family. So my obligation and my like concern is going to be the family while like a midwife and a, and a nurse that are in a hospital, they're, they're hired by the hospital typically. Now you can have like home birth or out of hospital providers that are going to be hired by you as the client and you're the one that are, that is paying them. Um, so there's just like different um, elements and like yeah. things to consider depending on like who's on your birth team. Um, and then usually you don't get a choice what midwife and nurse or even doctor or like supporting your birth. It's just kind of like you just show up and whoever's there is there, which was the case for my first birth was, and that was the part of my first birth that was the hardest for me was I didn't have control over who was going to be in my space. Like when I was pushing my baby out and I was just butt naked, I had like 15 people in the room. I don't know who they were. I couldn't pick them out from a crowd. Um, they Maybe they all know what my vagina looks like. I don't know. But um. <laughs> But so that was like a big aspect when I was preparing for my next two births was like being in much more control of like who was in my space because um, that had a huge effect on my birth experience. Oh, I'm sure. And I think you're you're not alone in that at all. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the f the kind of the fitness aspects. What are some um, what are some things that you think you would like to really? Uh, I don't want to say they're people people's ideas about working out when they're pregnant um what are some of the kind of misgivings that people might have you know obviously there's there's room that you know somebody might be diabetic or they might have concerns preeclampsia but but in general if you're if you have a pretty healthy pregnancy what are some things that you would wish more people knew that we should be doing and not be afraid of doing so just exercising in general i think like, I think there's more of an understanding how beneficial exercise throughout pregnancy is. Um, but there's still like some fear involved with like weightlifting or lifting weights during pregnancy. Like strength training is incredibly beneficial during pregnancy. ACOG updated their guidance in 2020 to say like resistance training was a beneficial and safe way to exercise throughout your pregnancy. And so typically the advice you see is to like prenatal yoga or go for a walk or do these very like gentle like movements like you're fragile like don't you're gonna hurt yourself or your baby if you do anything more when like if you're just going for walks every day and you're doing a lot of like body weight type movements like we we might start having some more complications so we not not in regards to like your pregnancy health but regards to, like pelvic girdle pain low back pain like we're gaining weight during our pregnancies. Even if you like as a person are not putting on any additional poundage, like your baby weighs something, all the extra fluid that you have weighs something, your uterus weighs more, there's just more mass to you. And so we need the strengths to be able to one, counter the shift of, a shift of our center of gravity, which is going to be moving forward and up. 
We need to be able to counter kind of the musculoskeletal changes of pregnancy. If we exercise, however that feels for you, like we're going to kind of enhance those physiologic adaptations that are happening during pregnancy. It's going to increase your blood volume even more. So you have more of a response to both planned and unplanned trauma. It's going to improve your respiratory like rate. Like you're going to be better at breathing during your pregnancy. It's going to improve your metabolism. Like there's so many benefits to exercising throughout pregnancy. But I think folks are really afraid to lift weights, which I think is like incredibly beneficial. Like being strong during your pregnancy mm. makes a huge difference. It's going to make your tissues denser, your bones denser. Like we might have some issues from like your bones weakening during pregnancy because baby's taking all your calcium. Like baby's going to take the priority with your nutrients. And if you're already in a nutrient deficient state, it's just going to get worse during your pregnancy and into your postpartum period. And lifting weights helps increase bone density. Like lifting weights helps to improve a diet stasis. Lifting weight like can help strengthen your pelvic floor to like manage things postpartum. And so um, I'm a huge advocate, obviously, for lifting weights throughout pregnancy into the postpartum. Um, and so I hope I don't want folks to be afraid of that. Now we can't do everything that we did pre-pregnancy. We can't just do anything. Like there are things that you can physically probably force yourself to do that may or may not be beneficial for you. Um, and th that's going to kind of vary from person to person. And so like another common myth that you'll see for prenatal fitness is like the safe or unsafe exercises, which is really going to vary from person to person based on how well they manage pressure. What is their pre-fit, their pre-pregnancy fitness level? Like what sort of fitness level do they need to maintain during their pregnancy? Um, what sort of fitness goals do they have postpartum? And so there, there are exercises that are, yes, like more or less optimal for pregnancy, but when you maybe need to omit an exercise or if you need to is really going to depend on you as an individual because a squat is a wonderful exercise, but if you do it with really poor form, it's not a great exercise. And it's the same with like a plank. A plank can be a great exercise, but if you do it with a poor form and pressure manage it, it's not going to be a great exercise for you. And so that safe versus unsafe like list of exercises can be like hard to navigate as well. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot. There's a yeah. lot with prenatal fitness. <laughs> yeah, oh, there is. And and then, you know, I think like again, that fear is still there, just like it is around birth. Like, oh my gosh, if you do a plank, you're really gonna make that diastasis you know, much bigger. And, you know, plank is usually the one of the first things that people will tell you not to do. Um, so how would you tell somebody like, well, first of all, everybody's gonna have like at seven months, every single person, there's going to be an opening in, in, um, in the diastasis recti. It's like it needs to separate to make space. And it's really about like, again, how, how well can you um, get the tissues kind of pulled back together and assembled so that that pressure isn't going out into them and then down into the pelvic floor. So how do you recommend people, like if they had a pretty strong like plank practice what are any kind of tips you would give them in the second and third trimester and then in the kind of fourth trimester and, and following? So when it comes to these core exercises, kind of what I'm looking for as a perinatal trainer to let me know that movement is not appropriate anymore or we may need to look at modifying. And modifying doesn't mean completely omitting. It could just be looking at what the intention of the movement is and maybe changing the shape to something that's more accommodating for our pregnancy. So the top thing that I'm going to look for is coning. So what coning is, is when the center of the abdomen there, there's a connective tissue there that's going to stretch and thin throughout the duration of pregnancy. And it's a necessary adaptation to pregnancy. So like you said, everyone is going to get a diastasis if you are carrying into your third trimester. Now, if you don't make it to the third trimester, like you have an early, like a preterm baby, like you might not have a diastasis. But if you're in your third trimester, it, like 99 0.9% of people are going to have some sort of diastasis because it's a necessary adaptation. So you can't prevent it because that's like a common question we get. How do I prevent diastasis? You, you can't, unfortunately. Um, we can do things to try to prevent it from getting really severe during our pregnancy by looking at our movement patterns. And so during pregnancy, if you're doing a core exercise or even movements like overhead press or pull-ups, which are not necessarily like core exercises, but they do involve a lot of the abdominal wall, if you're seeing that center tissue push out a lot further than the rest of the abdomen, it's going to be kind of like a triangle or like a tenting at the center. Um, that could potentially be an issue, especially with exertion. Now, if you're just like sitting down and you're 
relax or you're like in an inversion, like you're in down dog and you have coning, that's fine. That's a soft cone. This is just the way that your abdomen is like moving. Like it's, that's not an issue. It, it becomes an issue when it's a hard cone or it cones with exercise or exertion because we we're pushing pressure into that, that linea alba, that weakened tissue as we do movement, which is going to be, um, which could potentially be damaging it a little bit more. Now, if it happens like once in a while, it's okay. Like if you do, if you're practicing yoga once a week and you do plank once during the practice and you cone, it'll be fine. Like you will be totally fine. If you do yoga every day, you cone in every single practice, it'll also be fine. Like you can heal from it. Um, so there's a lot of like fear with coning as well. Um, but if you are doing your plank or you're doing a yoga practice or a exercise just in general, and you're noticing that you're experiencing a lot of coning, like in the movement, that's usually my cue that we need to modify. And you can start experiencing coning in the first trimester. Um, it can happen really early within your pregnancy. It's not exclusive to the third trimester. So if you're noticing the coning specifically with the plank, the first thing that I would say is, okay, one, can we adjust our position a little bit? Like, are maybe are we arching a lot on our back? Is our belly really falling to the floor? And that's probably going to cause some coning. It's harder to manage pressure outside of like a neutral spine position. Like, okay, we fixed our position. We kind of tuck the butt under a little bit more. We're pushing a little bit more with our arms. Like we're more active in the position. Okay, I'm still having coning. All right. Can we think about our breathing now? Like how are we breathing and kind of managing the pressure within our abdominal cavity? Like, are we only breathing into our belly, kind of pushing everything forward? Like that's probably going to cause some coding. Like, okay, can I breathe more into my back? Like expand in there. That is that going to help the coning? Um, no, that's still not helping the coding. Or yes, it is. All right, continue. You're like, keep going. Um, if it's not helping, all right, now let's let's start looking at changing the shape. How can we still meet the same intent with this position in a different move, like in a different shape that is still serving me really well. And so maybe it's you come to tabletop position instead. Maybe you do a bear position where you're hovering the knees. So we're still getting that core engagement, but we have we have more hip flexion, which usually makes it a little bit less intense on the core. And so let's try that. Does that help with coning? And for most of my clients coming into bear and hovering the knees is gonna be the perfect movement for their pregnancy. Um, if you're still experiencing coning in bear, okay, maybe we drop the knees. Okay. Do we drop the knees instead? Maybe we do like us, like a, instead of like both legs being back in plank, it's just one leg. And so we're kind of in like a, a bird dog type of position with the arms down instead. So just changing the shape a little bit doesn't take away from your athleticism or your yoga practice or your workout. It's just going to serve you a little bit better. And so that's like a huge aspect of prenatal fitness that, I think really serves like a birth preparation, regardless of your birth path, is this ability to kind of accept the reality of your situation with like an open heart. So yes, I want to go to the gym and I want to lift all of the weights in the same exact way. And I don't want to modify it all. And I want to do exactly as prescribed. And then I show up and I'm like, I'm really tired today. Like, all right, well, I'm just going to push through. Like, I don't care. Like, that's that's not going to serve me very well. It's also not a great mindset in general to have with fitness. Like, I think a lot of us are using fitness as like a lifelong health activity to mm -hmm. increase our health span of our lives. And so if we are kind of ignoring the signs from our body, we're probably not going to serve ourselves long term and we're not going to serve ourselves during our pregnancy. And so instead, what we can do with our fitness and with our yoga practice is Okay, I had to let go of a few movements that I really liked, but it wasn't serving me. It was my body was telling me that it needed something different. And so I am accepting the reality that I have right now with an open heart and acknowledge that it doesn't take away from my from me as a person. It doesn't devalue me because I can't do handstands anymore. I'm not doing plank for all my vinyasas. And instead, I'm going to modify to what feels best for me. And so now when we make it to our birth or we make it to the end of our pregnancy and maybe something unexpected happens, like I've developed a complication, like, okay, well, this was not my plan. That was that was not what I was thinking we were going to do, but this is my reality and I'm accepting it like with an open heart. How can I navigate it best? Like, and so it's going to allow you to be more resilient because you're just, you're more accepting of kind of the dynamic of your situation and how it fluctuates from day to day during your pregnancy. And so I think 
being open to modifying during your pregnancy really serves you during birth with like the mental aspect of it. I agree. It could even be as simple as like contractions are harder than I expected. Like, oh no, like, okay, well, these are a little bit harder. So what can I do to adapt? And so, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I teach that as well, which is what we do physically automatically translates into other aspects of our lives that aren't necessarily physical. Like again, being able to, you know, quiet the chatter when we're like, oh, this not, you know, not pregnant, but just, oh, this is really, this is really hard. I'm not strong enough. And it's like actually changing that by actually maybe staying in a pose a little bit longer or a position or a movement or plyo, like, oh, I'm too old to be, whatever the, all the, the voices in our head, if we actually do it in a physical way that is serving us for those moments in our time, moments in our life, I, I agree. It does, it makes us more adaptable for other things that are not in the fitness, you know, a cha- fitness path per se, but are very, very important. Like being able to adapt to like, yeah, this, my birth plan didn't go as I wanted to, or I was thinking I was going to get more sleep, but no, this baby has a lot of gas, whatever it is. You're just, you're going to, you're going to roll with it with a little bit more ease. I think I really do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, so my other question is, so after women give birth, um, and and are have let's just say because I agree with you all those reasons lift weights move blah, blah keep keep it up because you're also better recovering you know you're you're, you're on the other end of it you're going to recover with more more ease you're going to kind of return to your center a little bit more what are some tips you give people who want to start and they're they're clear in their own head, you know, whether it's the doctor clear them or they don't have any physical reason they shouldn't. But what are some ways to kind of ease back in to get that sense of pulling back into center the things that, like you said, the center of mass has shifted um, and then, and that's what your brain knows. So it needs to be kind of rewired. What are some things that you recommend doing? So we don't have to wait for like the all clear. Like you can start like babies on your chest. You're still covered in blood. I mean, maybe mm-hmm, wait a little mm-hmm. bit, but like yeah. you can start right away. <laughs> so the like four to six week like wait period before the all clear is too long to do nothing. But like anything before that is too soon to like return to the gym or to like jump back on your mat with like a full pre-pregnancy practice. And so we can start from day one postpartum with reconnecting to our breath, doing gentle mobility, doing really gentle core work to just like refeel our body. Because it's going to feel weird after you give birth. Like I remember like filling my belly and it was just this like squishy like rubbery. Dough. Yeah. Yeah. It's so strange. Um, and so if we were working out during our pregnancy, whatever that is, like I'm huge like advocate for whatever you enjoy doing do during your Mm -hmm. pregnancy if it's not lifting weights like i'm not going to be offended if it's not going to yoga like i'll be fine like if it's just walking every day like that's wonderful like you're moving your body in an intentional way but the more that we work out during our pregnancy the easier it is going to be to like reaccess those like neuro patterns and so i'm like okay well i this is a familiar movement pattern to me like i've really wired it in my brain now I'm in a new body. It's not bad. It's not a bad body. It's just it's just different. Our bodies are different after we give birth. And so now I have to reconnect with it. I have to relearn like where my pelvic floor is. Like if you had a vaginal birth, your pelvic floor just went through a lot. It's it went through planned trauma. If you had a cesarean birth, like your abdominal wall just went through a lot. Your pelvic floor still went through a lot during pregnancy. And so the first thing that we can do is can we reconnect with how our diaphragm and our pelvic floor are moving together? Can I breathe more into my back? Pregnancy is a state where we're really extended in our spine. We're very arched. Our lats are getting tighter. We're in this more like rib flared position just because baby has to go somewhere. Like, okay, well, now I finally have the opportunity to find space in my backside again to target more of that back half of my pelvic floor. Can I breathe more into my backside of my body? Can I integrate some gentle mobility work to move my spine in a way that maybe wasn't as accessible during pregnancy. Like we can still twist and rotate during pregnancy, but we can't go quite as deep as we could outside. So now I'm in this space and in this new body where I have more movement capability again that maybe was more limited than me. So exploring that gently during like the early part of pregnancy or postpartum. So those first like four to six weeks, it's just about can I breathe and feel my pelvic floor moving again? 
Can I breathe into my backside of my body again? Can I gently move my spine and my body like really intentionally? Um, and this is all very unstructured. So I'm like, I'm feeding my baby and I am breathing and I'm thinking I'm being intentional with my breath. Like, okay, my baby's taking a nap. I'm just going to move my spine just for like five minutes. And so it's not like three hours of rehab every day by any means. As we kind of get closer to that, like all clear time frame, and, and that will vary from person to person of what they feel comfortable with. For some folks, they feel comfortable starting to return to more structured exercise when their bleeding has stopped. Some folks like to wait for their provider to tell them that it's okay. Um, and it's it very, and some people just don't feel ready for several months because it's just, it's hard. Postpartum mm. is hard, <laughs> especially if you don't have a ton of support. Um, so as you return to your fitness postpartum, whatever that is, just think about like kind of the end movement that you're trying to work towards. So let's use like the back squat, for example. So, okay, well, what movements and components are associated with this final movement that I'm trying to work towards? Like, okay, well, I have to bend my knees and then extend them. I have to bend my hip and extend it. I have to maintain spinal stability as I move a load. I have to maintain stability within my feet as I'm moving. So there's a lot of components. And so I like to work kind of from like the center of the body down. So I'm going to start with focusing on can I stabilize my spine? And then I'm like, okay, I can kind of keep its position relatively well. Now I'm going to start moving my arms and legs. Like, okay, well, I can move my arm and I could maintain my core position. Okay, that's that's a good start. Okay, now I'm going to integrate my hips movement. Okay, I can maintain my spine position as my hip moves. Now I can add in my knees movement. Now I can add in my ankles movement. And so you kind of like add the joints from the center out, mm. I find to be a really good approach with any movement that you do. And so you can do that with the squat, the deadlift, different yoga poses, like um, whatever the movement is, just kind of start from the center and just kind of work your way out by adding. And as you add, can I still maintain my core position, like whatever that position is without compensating? So if, if I'm trying to maintain a neutral spine, but then I begin to arch in my back every time I, I hit this one point in my squat range of motion. Okay, I'm going too deep for my capabilities right now. It'll come back. It doesn't devalue me as a postpartum athlete. I'm just going to decrease my range of motion to kind of the point right before I start to compensate because that's going to serve me better long term as opposed to forcing myself through a range of motion that I think I should be at when I may not in reality be there. And this is, again, coming from that prenatal fitness with that open mind and that open heart of like, I'm accepting the experience for what it is. It doesn't devalue me. I am still a valuable person regardless of what I could physically do. Um, and that's going to continue to the postpartum to give you this opportunity to really kind of rebuild. And so what we find with our postpartum athletes is the pains that they were having pre-pregnancy, they don't have anymore because they took the time to kind of rework it. And it's like this, they this, rewired, this opportunity yeah. to start with, yeah. Yeah, with like a blank slate. Um, uh. And it was the same for me, like common issues that I had pre-pregnancy. I don't have anymore because my postpartums, because I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to start from scratch and rebuild. And it's slow. It's such a slow and patient process. And so that would be like my next tip is it's going to take time. It's, it's not going to be six weeks. It's not going to be six months. Like it's going to be like nine months to a year. Like I'm nine months now and I, I feel like I can physically do a lot of things now, like with a lot of confidence without compensation. I'm still building. Um, usually for me, it's anywhere from like a year to 18 months that I start really feeling good or like quote unquote, like normal in my body. Um, but it takes a lot of time. And I think that's something that a lot of us don't, don't know or, or realize. And so then we're, we're six months postpartum and I'm like, wow, like I still have a hard time doing this movement that I, I I should be doing by now. Like I'm, I'm six months and it's like, well, you're not really sleeping a lot. Like you're probably not eating as much as you, you need to be because it's, it's hard. It's hard to take care of yourself. And also like this little person, like you're putting yourself last. Um, and so being very patient with the process, just adding very slowly, kind of going to the point right before you start to compensate or you're having trouble managing your breathing and the pressure then like and they kind of reel it back from there and just and just be like very gentle on yourself too. I love As that. Go, I think that's such be, great like, advice. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love everything you said. I think it's so important to like um almost embrace the fresh new like like it really is 
a new ecosystem that you're getting to know and that you're putting in all the input that's needed to like, again, grow and evolve and change, but that's going to take time. And I just remember after, you know, my two babies just like being like, and I've also had this with injury. It's like, I tried to be like, okay, what can I do to give better input to make my body even more durable, you know, in a, in a different way. So I s sometimes think that's a, a, a positive approach to have. It's not always easy, especially when you're contending with being tired and all, all the other things as well. Um, I'm curious, how has your military background like informed this career that you've created for yourself? Like, um, what are the skill sets? Because I, one of my, um, one of my operation managers for two years was in the Air Force, and she took a, a little gap and then went back into the Air Force. But, like, I just, I was like, I'm always going to hire military people because <laughs> just, just the, the order and the execution was just un unbelievable. And I know that's also a person to person, but I'm just curious from your own background, like, what are some skill sets or some. Um, kind of mottos or discipline mantras that you might have that have really served you? Um, so for me, I spent the like the first chunk of my career in conventional army, which is kind of like the, the normal units that you would think of. Like if you think of like World War II, like the units you see in the movies, like that's the type, not that type of unit, but like Battalion, that's kind of yeah. the structure mm -hmm. that I was initially serving in. Um, and then the second half of my career, I was in more of a special operations time frame, which they operate in a different way. It's a little bit more independent. Um, so you don't really have somebody else telling you exactly what to do. You kind of have to figure out what those things are. Um, there's a lot more trust for you uh, with that. And there's also kind of this like operating in a world that's not black and white. Like you understand that there's a lot of gray to things as well. And then from my special operations experience, I also like felt very like humbled by understanding that there is a lot of people out there that know a lot more than me. Um, I know a lot of stuff too, though. Like I still bring a lot to the table. And so it was also like both a humbling and then a confidence building thing for me where um, I felt like I was just more like open to other people's experiences and how those experiences can positively impact like my experiences and kind of my job and the things that we were trying to do. And so I didn't feel like I had that all the time when I was in the first half of my career, but I learned a ton when I was in the army, how to be resourceful, how to find resources, like how to organize things in a way to like achieve an end state. So, okay, well, I can't just start at the end. Like I have to understand what all the steps are to get to that point. Um, I was an officer, so I was more on like the planning and like project management side of things. So that was definitely super beneficial for me yes. on as a small business owner of kind of having to do it all by myself. And then because of my special operations experience, I had all that opportunity to work really independently that it really helped me as a small business owner where I was like, well, I don't have somebody else telling me what to do. Like if I want to, if I want to make money, I got to, it's just me. I'm just, my boss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and some people <laughs> could couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you so have that to... definitely made it made it hard. And also, like just being in the military was very confidence building for me. Um, like I've got really good at public speaking. Like I I understood like what I brought to the table was valuable, and so I didn't feel nervous like doing videos and teaching courses and being the coach for people and. Like putting myself out there was not as scary because I have all the experience, this experience behind me of kind of putting myself out there already. Like, um, like if I wanted to do something, I had to go and present the idea to somebody when I was in the military in a way that would kind of sell it to them. Mm -hmm. And then I would have to execute it from there. And so like public speaking skills, like confidence skills, kind of the leadership aspect of things like even now, like with my sister who's in the business with me and like we have a really small team, like I'm still the one that's kind of managing everything and kind of providing guidance for everybody. And those are definitely things that I pulled from the military for sure. Um, so yeah. I think it was pretty beneficial for me yeah. in general. Just knowing how to so. manage a team was like yes. probably the biggest thing from like a really young age. Like, I mean, 
for for some of us like we don't think like 22 is like that young but like now that i'm like 35 i'm like oh my god a baby um, oh yeah like Th- that's young that's like a year older than of, my daughter wow <laughs> yeah. like i was yeah. in charge of a team of 40 people that i wow. i was just that was my team um and so giving a lot of responsibility pretty much right out the gate was definitely like very influential in my ability to grow and eventually have a small business, I think. so. Well, you've obviously done incredibly well and, and you're so successful at that. And do you, I, before you, before we sign off, I know I want you to share what you offer. Do you offer any kind of like guidance for, um, I, I saw that you have social media guidance, but do you have any offerings for people? And maybe this is not your wheelhouse. It's too much right now with your three kids and your businesses, <laughs> but I'm imagining what you have uh, so many people do want to go into small business and um, need some like like help, almost like a little guidebook. Um, do you offer anything like that? Um, so right now, the only like business specific offering that we have is our like how to grow on social media, and it's like a two hour webinar that's just like these are our tips for managing social media because. Instagram is definitely kind of the tool that we have used to reach a very large audience in a fairly short period of time. And there's specific skills and like protocols that we've kind of figured out over time that we've learned from others that I'm Mm -hmm. like, I'm just going to put it all right here. Here you go. Um, We do have professional courses for folks that want to learn from our expertise as periodontal fitness trainers. Um, So we have our pre and postpartum fitness trainer course where you can earn a CEUs. We have our birth workers course. Um, and then Casey teaches like a yoga, like modifications course for uh, yoga teachers as well. Um, and with our fitness trainer course, we offer a lot of business mentorship as well. So within that course, we offer, hey, these are some things to consider when trying to find clients. These are some things to consider for setting up your space for your clients. So we're definitely very focused on helping other fitness trainers kind of get into whatever it is that they're trying to do. Because I definitely find that of all of my roles, the fitness trainer has the biggest impact on someone's like birth preparation because Mm -hmm. I'm seeing them every day. Like the kind of exposure that you get to a client just face-to-face time, it's just so much more with a fitness trainer. And so if I could educate other trainers on how to help their prenatal clients move through their pregnancy with ease without being in pain and then help them prepare their clients for birth so they have a better experience, expose them to their options is going to lead to better pregnancies, better birth experiences. And then they can help guide someone during their postpartum. It's going to lead into more confident parents, like happier mothers. like. And so um, that's, that's kind of how we support the professional for folks that are listening that are within that perinatal timeframe themselves and they're looking for resources for their own journeys, we do offer prenatal and postpartum fitness training online. Um, so if you're not local to us, you can still work with us. Um, we offer our childbirth education course that's also aligned. And all of our courses are going to be very like physically focused. So these are the movements that you can do to be more comfortable during your pregnancy. These are just pelvic stability movements that are going to help decrease your pelvic pain. These are movements that you can do to help kind of increase the different spaces within your pelvis so that you have the movement capability when it comes to labor so that we then have an easier labor. These are movements you can do to release tension within your pelvic floor. And then we have our postpartum program where kind of the stuff that I was talking about, like starting from the center, moving out, like I do it for you. So you don't have to figure it out yourself if you want to get back to lifting. Uh, we have our postpartum programs as well. So that's kind of what we offer folks that are professionals. And then also within the time frame themselves, you can follow us on Instagram at Mama Stay Fit. Uh, we have a podcast as well. We have episodes every Wednesday that are educational and then birth stories on Fridays because I definitely found hearing other people's birth stories mm. were like really impactful for me in my own birth experience. Um, and so we just have this community that we we give away tons of free content to. So if you never pay us a dime, but you still benefit from our our content that that means a ton to us as well. So yeah, that's kind of all of the different things that we offer. <laughs> I love that, Gina. You are such an inspiration, and I really love how you're pulling for other mamas, um, literally and emotionally, and all the ways and educationally. So everyone, make sure you check out Gina. And thank you so much for taking the time to come here today. If you didn't know, Gina has three three kids of her own, um, six and under, which is kind of crazy because I remember that time period, <laughs> and I do not think I would be doing half of what you're doing. So, congratulations, um, and you know, lots of gratitude for this as well. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me.
You're welcome. And everyone who's listening, check out Gina. And as always, I'm pulling for you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Redefining Movement. If you like what you've heard, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Feel free to leave us a rating and review or share with someone you know. Check us out at www.litmethod.com. 